Do you wish that all things wealth and finance were much easier to understand and not presented by a bunch of beige cardigan-wearing geeks? Welcome to the Clever Investor Podcast, where we're dishing up the easiest-to-understand finance program served in bite-sized chunks, so your brain will thank you as your knowledge grows. Hosted by the brilliant Owen Taylor, a multiple award-winning expert with a glorious knack for explaining the complex world of wealth in the simplest of ways. Hey, Clever Investors, and welcome to another show. One of our listeners, contacted me a while ago with a question. They had already got some investment properties in their personal names and she said to me, can we do a subject, a topic on what trusts are and why would you use them? So I grabbed my phone out of my pocket and I lined up a time to talk to uh, somebody who I know and have trusted for so many years. His name is Dominic Missy. He owns and runs his own very fine accounting business. He is very much a specialist in this whole area of trusts and he's one of those people that what he doesn't know about it, you really don't need to know. Hello? Dom, it's Owen. Hey, Owen, how are you? I'm good, mate. Can I ask you a question? Definitely. What is a trust? So a trust is a legal arrangement um, and uh, it dates many centuries um, and a lot of people would actually um, be in a, a trustee-beneficiary relationship without knowing it and I'll explain that. But effectively a trust is a legal arrangement whereby a trustee is holding property or assets or um, some sort of has some sort of obligation to a class of beneficiaries. So a really common example of a of a trust relationship would be if you had a, a property and you got a, a managing agent to lease it out to a tenant, uh, the tenant would pay uh, the rent into the managing agent's trust account, you've got people be familiar with that, and then that money would then be held for you as a land holder. So in that situation, the trustee would be the uh, managing agent, the real estate agent, and the beneficiary would be the owner of the property. That's, that's it in simplest terms. Um, most people come across it when they, um, I keep using property, but that's where you commonly would come across that. If you're buying your house, uh, put money into a, a, tr- a trust account for a solicitor, um, and then they're the ones that they're holding the money to you. Right. Uh, so that's quite simply what it is. Um, you can, yeah, there's, there's, there's the two main roles. There's a third role, which is called an appointer, but uh, where the appointer can appoint or remove the trustee, but again, the trustee then has to act in accordance. So there's a trust. There's a trustee-beneficiary relationship and the trustee needs to act in accordance with the rules, which is what we call the trustee. So why would somebody use a trust outside of being a managing agent for a property? Yeah, so that's just a, a familiar commercial uh, situation, which is just, kind of helps solidify people's um, understanding of what a, tr- a trust relationship is. Uh, why you would use it, I mean, there's a plethora of reasons. Um but we try to, we kind of narrow it down into two main reasons. So one would be for asset protection and the other reason would be for tax minimization. There, there are other, other reasons as well, um, you know, whereby somebody may not have mental capacity. So then, you know, well, common situation may be, you know, somebody passes away, children are minors, then you, you know, the estate um, or assets of that estate are then being held on behalf of the children. That's a trust. 
Um, but generally speaking, um, it's for asset protection and tax minimization. So uh, how a trust works is that um, things, as a beneficiary, things are being held on your behalf. Um, you can receive a distribution from that trust, so you can enjoy um, any income or, or the asset itself, but you don't actually own the asset directly. So if something were to happen to you personally, um, you know, if somebody were to pursue you for, or you were to go bankrupt, um, then and they and you had to list all your personal assets, what's being held in trust for you um, will not count towards um, your asset pool. There are anti-avoidance provisions, what we call clawbacks. So, you know, if you try to avoid, you try to manipulate things and show you got less assets by, by transferring to a trust, that can be clawed back. But generally speaking, um, you know, anything held in trust for you isn't held by you personally. Uh, so that's really useful when you've got people that are, you know, generally in business, um, they act as directors, or maybe they're in highly litigious uh, professions, such as, you know, uh, not being a surgeon or a doctor or a lawyer. Um, so that's very strong asset protection um, aspects to it. Uh, the other side, which is kind of the quote-unquote sexier part, which most people like, is the tax minimization. So asset protection is sort of like insurance. It's an intangible benefit. Um, you only realize it when you need it, um, when you get that situ- in, in that situation, which shouldn't be common. Um, but tax minimization, you kind of have, depending on your circumstances, you'd um, be seeing the benefits, benefits of that more regularly. So with a trust, so, you know, you as a contradistinction, if you've got an asset held in your own name versus held, holding a trust. If you have an asset in your own name or you hold it jointly with a, a partner or, or whatnot, um, you've got a fixed entitlement to any income and capital from that asset. So again, I'll use a property because it's just the easiest example. Um, you've got a property, the property, you own the property in your own name, um, or you and your partner own property in your in your own names jointly. Uh, the property generates rent. Uh, say the rent for the year is $20,000. You, for tax purposes, would have to report 10000 and your partner would have to report 10000 And that's a fixed entitlement every year that, that will remain the same. The only way to change that would be to change um, your interest on title, and that would then incur capital gains tax and stamp duty. It's a, a bit of an administrative nightmare. Um, and likewise, if you were to sell the property, any capital gains would have to be split 50-50. So, you know, you could be on title 75-25, but let's just say generally the uh, held joint tenants, so 50-50. So whereas if a property were to be held in a trust, um, uh, depending on what the trustee says, before the end of the financial year, the trustee could determine who receives a trust distribution. So tr- most common forms of trust, um, we probably should have said this from the start, there are, there are three types of trust. One's what we call a discretionary trust, where the trustee has the discretion to distribute income and capital. And most commonly, uh, colloquially, they get called family trusts. They're not all family trusts, but that's what a family trust is. So there's a discretionary trust. Then you have what we call a fixed trust. So uh, there's a trust relationship that, for example, you and you and me might be part of this trust. I own 50% of the interest of that trust. You own 50% of the units of that trust of the trust, and our interests will be split accordingly. And there's what we call a hybrid, which isn't used very much today. Uh, the HO is not a big fan of them, but uh, which is a mix. There's a fixed element and there's a discretionary element. So for tax minimization purposes, I'm generally speaking about a discretionary trust, also commonly called a family trust, where a family trust election has been made. So with a discretionary trust, again, I, I gave the example, the trustee holds assets and income on behalf of the beneficiaries. However, with a discretionary trust, the trustee would allow the trustee to determine 
who to distribute the income and capital to. So from a tax perspective, you might get to uh, one year, it might be, uh, you know, it might be advantageous to, to put the majority of income to Dominic. But in the next year, uh, for whatever reason, maybe Dominic's made a capital gain or is on a, in the highest tax bracket. Um, and Owen is also part of this trust and Owen is on a lower tax bracket or taking a year off. Um, the trustee may determine to then distribute the majority of income to Owen. So, um, and that's a really simple example. You know, when, when you look at a family, when you make a family trust election, which is a tax election, the family trust allows you to distribute income to that test, what we term a test individual, individual, that test individual's family group. So, um, it's called, we call them like bloodline descendants, so up and down the line. So, um, if it was my family trust, if I was the, uh, the specified individual in the family trust, um, then it would be anyone related to me in the capacity of a grandparent, parent, um, uncles and aunts, spouses, um, children, spouses of children, grandchildren, spouses of grandchildren, and so on and so on, and other entities that I also control. And it allows for future generations as well. So obviously, once you make a family trust election, you really, really expand your pool. I gave you an example where just you and me, mm. but um, you know, a lot of the time you might have a situation where um, you've got a family group, um, mum and dad uh, are working, and then you've got uh, you know children, maybe the, the adult uh, children, the eighteen plus. Somebody might be taking a gap year. Somebody might be at university um, or you know working part time, or just started a you know graduate entry level job, which is on lower pay. So these give opportunities um, to be able to utilize the various um, marginal rates tax uh, and not always always have the income and capital concentrated in one or two person's hands. So a bit of a the, the tax the, the tax aspect is um, there's a lot of scope to, to work with. It gives you a lot of flexibility. Um, at the very least, you've got an option as opposed to and, and you may not use it in one particular year, but in you know, at least it's open to in future years, you might use it. Whereas if you own a property in your own name or an asset in your own name, you've got a fixed entitlement to that unless you vary the interest, which, like I said, is not a simple thing to do. Uh, are there any restrictions on what property you can buy or what the trust can have? The, the, the key feature of a trust is that the trustee needs to follow what the trustee states. So the, the, like I call them, the rules. So if a trustee allows something to be done, then it can be done. If a trustee says it can't, something can't be done, then it can't be done. So you always follow what's prescribed in the trustee. So there are certain trusts where, um, most notably, for example, special disability trust, you've got adult children. So parents, you know, have children that are disabled. Um, the, they want to make sure those children are, are looked after when they pass on and when those children become adults and, you know, they might, um, have some sort of condition, whether they have mental capacity. So a special disability trust is set up whereby the trustee would state, dear trustee, because typically in this situation, the trustee won't be the same as the beneficiary because it can't be. It might be a a trusted third party, a lawyer or something like that. Um, Anyway, and to ensure safeguards, the trustee would say, you know, um, you know, beneficiary A who is disabled, um, income, of the only assets that could be invested in are X, Y, Z. The only income that can be generated is X, Y, Z. The only expenditure could be X, Y, Z. So just to make sure they safeguard the assets. But generally speaking, you know, you can make your trust deed as broad as you want or as restricted as you want. It just, dep- just depends on what your intentions are. 
um, without arrangement. This sounds like a, a, a wonderful, um, for want of a meta word, a, a wonderful tool to be used. Obviously, you can, we can all jump on Dr. Google and go and Google all of this uh, till our heart's content. But who is the industry professional that is going to advise someone and, and I suppose, help them manage it? Yeah, very, very good. Good, good question. Um, so yeah, like with anything, we there's a there's a um, myriad amount of information available online, um, and like with anything, there's good information and bad information. And the important thing is that you have somebody that is across all the different uh, types of information that's out there, and can make sure that it's suitable for you. So it's ultimately a trust is a legal instrument. So you need a lawyer preparing the trust. So there needs to be. Um, you know, a lawyer that's prepared uh, uh, the trust deed. However, you also, and it could be the lawyer, you also need to have a professional that understands all the different roles, understands the interaction with the tax system, and so brings it together and makes sure it's the most appropriate thing, uh, appropriate uh, structure. It's a very common area in which we assist people with structuring and restructuring is um, kind of a specialty in our firm. We work with lawyers that make sure they produce robust and legally sound trustees. But so we we would also instruct the lawyers on the different types of roles after, you know, once we've consulted with the client. Generally, the, it, it is a lawyer. Um, you need to have a lawyer who's uh, experienced in trust and also has a tax understanding. Obviously, we do it because we, we know the tax, we have a, obviously, we know uh, uh, the tax system, um, and we've got a very deep understanding of trust. You know, I'll give you an example. Um, you can have a trust where the trustee could be an individual, and the majority of trusts in Australia are set up that way, and it's cheaper. You're saving yourself like a, you know 900 bucks from having to set up a company to act as a trustee. But all the asset protection issues and administration issues from setting it up that way, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. So you know, you need somebody who actually understands how trust works. Um, you know, making sure they understand who the appointer is, you know, understanding all the roles. Otherwise, if it's set up incorrectly, then you don't actually don't have a trust. So, you know, there are things that we do in the trust. If for certain uh, states in Australia, if a trust doesn't have a certain clause, the trust is considered a foreign person and there's a foreign person land tax and stamp duty tax applicable, which is quite sizable. Um, if you've got the wrong person who's the trustee or the wrong person who's the appointer, and the deed, depending on the deed, that person can be disqualified from being a beneficiary. And then if you make a distribution to that person in the future, then a trust relationship has never existed. So we've had situations where we found trust uh, clients that come up, come to us, board a trust, and we've realized they made an illegal distribution as per the trust deed rules. Mm-hmm. And the last uh, seven or eight years, um, there's been no trust relationship. So um, that was like a 40, 47% tax bill uh, for the client. Mm. each of those years or and then just there's no legal legal relationship anymore so uh yeah it's like anything we would always uh, obviously we have a a biased opinion but um you know you go to the person who who's experienced in that area um so we wouldn't recommend you try doing yourself but there there are like lots of online providers but yeah there's a youtube channel for everything but (laughs) in yeah there is in in summary then you could go and do this on the cheap but yep. you are very much going to get what you pay for. And in the long term, and this is probably not a technical term that you use a lot, but it can come and bite you on the bum if it's just not done properly and for the right reasons. 
correct. I mean, it's it's one thing to have it. You know, it's one thing to have the correct structure, but you know, it's important that clients. We're really big on education. It's important that clients understand what they've got in place. So yes, you might go online and and set up the trust correctly, um, which that's great. I, I'd argue there is you know trust law. Uh, you know, evolves year on year. I argue there'd be things that might be missing, but you could go and set up correctly for your situ- for your purposes. But if you don't, you know, as part of the setup, um, working with a professional, you need to understand how the trust works, so then you can actually maximize the benefit from it. So we've got uh, we've got clients who've come to us and didn't realize they could do certain things with their trust. Um, you know, not understanding that you could make a family trust election or distribute to other people that aren't actually specified as a speci- uh, listed as a specified beneficiary, and then you know they could have saved a whole lot of, of money in, the, in past years. So yeah. obviously, the saving they got on this doing on the fly with the wrong person yeah. um, was completely outweighed by all the losses not being able to use the trust properly. Yeah, never be scared to use an industry professional. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing all of that knowledge and I know that quite honestly you've only uh, sort of touched the tip of the iceberg on all of that. We'll probably need to speak to you again sometime but thank you so much for sharing that on the Clever Investor today. My pleasure, Owen, and thank you very much for having me. Thank you ever so much. All right, mate. You have been listening to the Clever Investor Podcast, proudly sponsored this week by Blue Wealth Property. Are you ready to start a new investment journey? Get in touch with the industry leaders, Blue Wealth Property. Blue Wealth have a proven track record in using research to identify growth markets. And Blue Wealth have supported thousands of Australians to buy the right property in the right market at the right time. Go to bluewealth.com.au.